0: An Honorable Profession is brought to you by OpenCounter.com. OpenCounter builds tools for local governments to deliver permits and licenses online. Their portals make complex permitting simple, which lowers transaction costs, increases transparency, and empowers economic development. OpenCounter is a vital tool for communities big and small across the nation, including Atlanta, Charlotte, Oakland, Indianapolis, and San Diego. Check out OpenCounter.com to see what they can do for your community. If you like an honorable profession, I encourage you to check out another great podcast that's out to give you hope in an often hopeless world. Dastardly Cleverness in the Service of Good. Each episode, my friend Spencer Critchley talks to people who are making tremendous positive impacts on our world. The conversations are funny, engaging, and hopeful. Listen to Dastardly Cleverness on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Ryan Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that identifies rising stars in the Democratic Party at the state and local level. I've been fortunate enough to be a New Dealer for years, first when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now as chair of the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. We've been doing this podcast for a year now, and I encourage you to check out some of our previous episodes with great leaders like Mayor Pete, Nevada Attorney General Aaron Ford, and candidate for U.S. Senate in Texas, Amanda Edwards. You can find us at NewDealLeaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. We're trying to bring sanity to politics in an insane era. We need all the help we can get. While presidential candidates trudge through the snow, I thought it'd be fun to talk to a New Hampshire elected official who's responsible for getting that snow shoveled, and so much more. Vice Chair of the Select Board for Exeter, New Hampshire, Molly Cowan. Molly spent years working for other elected officials before she threw her hat into the ring and ran herself. We talk about that transition, what's going on in New Hampshire and how it might impact presidential politics, and how she balances her personal life as a mother of two boys with her career and public service. Enjoy our conversation. Molly Cowan, Vice Chair of the Exeter Select Board from New Hampshire, welcome to An Honorable Profession. It's so fun to talk to you.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm so honored to be here.
0: So while I'm tempted to go straight into your past and your service, uh, I want to do what every American is thinking about right now, which is to tap you for your knowledge of what you know about the New Hampshire primaries, your experience having grown up in New Hampshire and then seeing them today. Uh, what can you tell us for all of us who are wondering what's gonna happen?
1: I mean, I think it's bananas. Um, it's it's You know, I, I joke that it is my most favorite season. You know, every four years we get this huge, huge honor. And I, um, I understand there are some sort of diversity problems and questions, but I also think that there's a really good tradition of, of um, New Hampshire voters asking candidates really tough questions and sort of putting them through the vetting process in a real way that is really authentic and, and you can sort of only get in a smallish state. And we are di- diverse in some in some areas. <laughs> and I think it's been... You know, it's been a really interesting place. There have been people who have been campaigning for what feels like decades. Um, Looking at John Delaney, you know, who has (laughs) had me on his Christmas card list for a number of years, which is very, very um, thoughtful, but, you know, sort of not the way to get my vote, maybe. And so the access that we have as new hampshire primary voters and particularly as elected officials in new hampshire um is really interesting you know i have friends who get calls from candidates you know if they've if they've not been if they've not committed or endorsed yet you know they get their weekly call from elizabeth warren who you know calls them up and asks them about their kids and Can I just
0: say, let me testify this, because I went to New Hampshire in 2000 to campaign for Al Gore, Uh and I was out there walking through the snow, walking neighborhoods for him, and I didn't know the answer to one of the questions, and the person at the door said, have the vice president call me, (laughs) and that was the expectation, was that the vice Uh president was going to call and answer that question, because they weren't going to take it from some kid at the door, (laughs) Uh, and uh, the, the level of seriousness of which some not all uh New Hampshire New Hampshireites take this as granite
1: staters granite staters there
0: you go uh take this is uh is is incredible but how have you seen it change over your lifetime or has it changed or is it still the same So lifestyle? that's a
1: really good question um I think it's changed in a number of ways because we used to you know before social media um before you know this this sort of candidates were really looking to have a viral moment which triggers a lot of things you know press and fundraising and um, and all of that stuff you know it was really these authentic interactions because you didn't have social media you didn't have people um, I mean there were always trackers there are always trackers you know but but it's different because everybody has a camera a personal camera a personal you know way to record people Um, and so I think it's changed certainly over my lifetime I mean I'm approaching middle age. (laughs) And I but I remember, you know, going to candidate events when I was eight and nine when, when it was the Clinton um, Bush race. uh, And even before that, when Clinton was in the primary uh, with my dad who took me. And, you know, just being stunned and awed that there were these people who are so thoughtful and could answer questions sort of at the drop of a hat. And I think um, I think that skill for candidates was really honed in states like New Hampshire and Iowa, where you have to, you know, you don't have the opportunity to sort of pressure test or, you know, or um, focus group your, your answer. You have to, you know, be authentic and answer it. And I think it's changed a lot because primary, you know, voters are still interested in seeing candidates, but a lot of the times it's in these big, huge venues um, where there's just this lack of of authentic connection. And I think some candidates are doing it really well still. Um, you know, Elizabeth Warren takes selfies with literally every single person who wants to take one with her. Um, Cory Booker does this. You know, he has a very famous selfie pose. Um, and so I think that that has, you know, social media, the rise of social media the, um, has really changed what the New Hampshire primary looks I like. I gotta say,
0: way. I mean, like retail politics is important, but taking a selfie is very different from answering an in-depth question in somebody's living room. Yeah. And so is there anyone sort of doing the old style knocking and talking?
1: So we had a special election. Uh, It was a state rep. I don't know if you know how much you know about New Hampshire House. We have 400 members. It's lunacy. (laughs) Um, I mean, I love them, but my goodness. Um, And so a lot of the candidates, not all of the candidates, really took an uh, on-the-ground approach to making sure to elect and work to elect local candidates. And I think that um, that that was a really good investment. So there is... Certainly, still retail politics of candidates going door to door. But the thing that I that I don't see, especially with the front runners, is there's no way that you're getting Joe Biden alone in your living room. Um, you know, same with Pete Buttigieg or, um, or I mean, any really any of the front, uh, front runners. Although I did see Pete Buttigieg eat a chocolate cayenne spiced cookie. Um,
0: <laughs> on purpose or by accident.
1: It was on purpose. It was offered to him by a New Hampshire voter and I I remember thinking like, "Boy, I wonder how many of these things they these guys <laughs> <laughs> have to do and have to go through." Um but I'm so I I think that there is still that retail politics that's there. Um but I also think it's changed through the lens of social media and this desire to have a public viral moment.
0: And we now have candidates. We have several neighboring state candidates running. Um, does that does that make a difference to be from Massachusetts or be from Vermont? Is that going to move the needle, or is it really I mean, the that's larger a good question?
1: I I think that I think it helps in terms of name recognition. I mean, certainly that I saw that a lot in the twenty sixteen primary with Bernie Sanders. You know, people had really. Um, people had known him. And the the thing, I mean, I know I'm talking a lot about Elizabeth Warren. Um, I'm not endorsing. (laughs) Uh, But um, she made it a point to come and help with a lot of these um, races that were really tough in 2016. You know, she wasn't on the ballot in 2016, and she came and campaigned for Maggie Hassan multiple times. She came and campaigned for Molly Kelly when Molly Kelly was running for governor in 2018. Um, and so I think that she builds a lot of goodwill. Um, and I think candidates really can build a lot of goodwill. But you know, that's not universal. There was just that poll. I, I mean, I questioned the sample size of the poll that just came out with Pete Buttigieg in the lead at 25%. The sample size was like 250 people. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think m- the majority of them had uh, advanced degrees. So, you know, probably not telling of the electorate. right? But, um, you know, I think I, I think that there is maybe an initial advantage. There's also an advantage to having been elected, you know, like with Joe Biden, he has a lot of friends. I mean, truly, I and maybe you know this, how many times has he run for president? And so, you know, there's still those those connections and and, um, friends that he's made from before. Wow.
0: Are you planning to just stay neutral through this whole thing?
1: So um, I also represent Emily's List, oh. and um, and so we're. I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Uh, so I'm. I'm personally not endorsing. I would be happy with almost any of them. Truly, I think that there is a huge, um, a plethora of wonderful, qualified, intelligent, smart people running to be president. And one of the best lines that I've heard about this is they're sort of, you know, they're all on the same team. They're just sort of jockeying for who's going to be the captain. And that's something that's really telling. I was looking at, you know, sort of who's taken the unity pledge, because I think that that's really interesting because we, you know, we know we have a a monumental Herculean effort in order to win this upcoming presidential election. Um, And the people that I know who are running for president and the people who are working for the people who are running for president know that they're ultimately going to all be on the same team. And so there's, you know, there's, inter-campaign relationships that I've seen happen on, on the ground. And there are people who are, you know, sort of happily in, you know, sharing time at democratic, uh, town democratic party committee meetings. And I think that that's really nice to see because I don't think that we saw that in the, after the 2016 primary. And I think it really hurt us. And so we have this, we have this real effort and real, um, real fight ahead and so there's, you know, they're, they're jockeying for who's going to be the team captain and because we are all on the same team.
0: That's good to hear because, right, the, the, the media has an interest in playing up the divisions and the punches and the punches not thrown, et cetera, et cetera. But if, if, if at the end of the day everyone's recognizing the ultimate goal of all this um, is to, to save the country from a truly terrible president, um, then I think, I think it's, uh, that's good to hear. If you haven't figured it out already, Molly is a New Deal leader. It's fitting because an honorable profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that identifies rising stars in the Democratic Party at the state and local level. I've been fortunate enough to be a New Dealer for years, first when I was mayor of Santa Cruz, and now on the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. Since we launched this podcast, I've spoken to some amazing leaders. Leaders like Montgomery, Alabama Mayor Stephen Reed. He's the first African-American to be elected to that position in the city's history. Please listen to his story and tell your friends about an honorable profession and raise on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Now, back to my conversation with Molly. Let me just ask, because New Hampshire is more than a primary state. It's mm-hmm. also a state where regular <laughs> people live uh, and, uh, and you know raise families and work and retire. What's going on in New Hampshire? How's it doing? And and then specifically, sort of your role mm-hmm. uh, on the on the town council. What do you what do you what are you working on?
1: Sure. So I think that um, I think that New Hampshire is a really unique and wonderful place to live. Um, I would recommend it to everybody, <laughs> and we're certainly open for business. Um, it's a small state. It's also an aging state. Um, and so, one of our biggest challenges is how do we attract and retain um, young people? We have this, you know, incredible brain drain where people. Uh, the UNH, the um, the state college, and university system is the country's most expensive uh, public education system, and we are not doing ourselves any favors because that often means, you know that's what happened to me. I, it was cheaper for me to go out of state to a state university of New York um, than to go in-state to my own UNH. And so I, I chose to leave. I, I came back.
0: That seems um, crazy. It's
1: it's crazy. And, um, and so we have this huge brain drain of people who, you know, young people who are leaving the state who don't sort of see themselves, one, because they can't afford to be in-state, um, and two, because, you know, they are coming back it's you know housing prices are are really expensive especially in the places people want to live um and so you know while we test really high you know our schools are rated really well um we often are i think we were the second most livable state um in the nation you know and we were consistently in those places we're still having trouble attracting um and keeping and retaining our young people Uh, Some statistics that are really terrifying, and this sort of motivated me to run for office, was... um the average age of, for example, an electrician in New Hampshire is um, is nearing retirement age, is in late fifties. Same with plumbers. Same with um, you know the the sort of HVAC technical jobs that that you cannot outsource. And in some counties in New Hampshire, you know the nearest the nearest uh, electrician is fifty miles away. And how are you ever going to get that person to come fix your you know whatever you need fixed in your house? And so we need to really take a deep dive and focus on how to make sure those jobs are filled for the future, uh, because those are jobs that aren't going anywhere. Those are jobs that, um, that are there and that are needed. And you know, and it's, it's a real crisis if you can't get a plumber to your house when you need one.
0: Wow. So what are you doing uh, to try to address that issue?
1: Well, those are... Um, those are, you know, issues at the state house. But what I've chosen to do is really um, work to reframe the conversation about college readiness and what a successful career path looks like and so you know that means working with our adult ed education system um, school in new hampshire and in particular in exeter because they have really strong programs it's you know strengthening community colleges and sort of destigmatizing this thought process that in order to be successful you have to go to college it's just not true and we need to you know these are good quality, excellent jobs. Um, and we need to figure out how to keep them. And so, you know, the other thing is like a lot of these places are self-employed. And so how do you, you know, how do you figure out how to make it an easy enough process to um, to figure all of that stuff out? Because if you're, you know, somebody who's good with working with your hands um, and that's the way you want to go, you're probably not wanting to spend a ton of time researching which Health insurance program to buy in the exchange. So, like, how do we figure out these sort of processes to um, to be
0: helpful? And just out of curiosity, with with your state getting older uh, and some brain drain, one answer to that is is immigration. Are you seeing immigration in, and how is that? You know impacting your the communities
1: we we really are um there is especially you know sort of in this 93 corridor which is um nashua manchester and then up to concord a little bit there are big populations of both refugees and and new americans and where you know we need to look and reframe how we look at and welcome people into our community and make sure that we are you know Having teachers who can talk to them and having you know positive, positive messages going home to them about schools and how do we you know enroll people, but that certainly is happening. The other thing that we need to really think about in New Hampshire is um, what our housing and zoning looks like, because oftentimes there's been this really big push to have um, age exclusionary housing and zoning um, so that you have you know houses for older folks right because it's the the most effective way to encourage builders to build and so we've really done that in a lot of towns and and so all of these planning boards you know you talk about single-family homes or multi-family homes and and they flip out and say, well, you know, what is that going to do with, to our school enrollment numbers? You know, we're going to pay, be paying so many taxes. And we need, to, we need to really reverse a lot of the work that we've done in, in the um, age exclusionary zoning and planning processes in New Hampshire. So there's a lot of this sort of really drilled down, not sexy issue discussion that needs to take place. Um, and that it needs- is
0: so interesting. I mean, because, you know, in California, it's all about... Well, we have all these people, and all they want to do is build single family homes and we got to look at multifamily and dense living and this and that the idea that that single family homes would be would be a step too far is, uh, is really that's i know that's mind blowing
1: yeah, and we need to, i mean yeah we and we the i mean the other thing so this is probably getting way too deep, and you can edit it if you want but the uh the amount of tax breaks that we give seniors. Is, um, is really high. And so, you know, in Exeter specifically, we're missing out on hundreds of thousands of, of dollars of tax breaks on, and I'm not saying we should repeal tax breaks on elderly folks. There are certainly reasons to be very, very critical and, and thoughtful about if we're doing this. But like, if you're buying a second home in Exeter, which happens a lot, it's a delightful place to live, you probably shouldn't get a tax break yeah. <laughs> for, being, for being elderly.
0: Yeah, So let's talk about, um, we've talked about statewide and just so the listeners know, right, you have an extensive career where you worked for now Senator Maggie Hassan, uh, you worked for Planned Parenthood. Now you work for Emily's List. So you've worked in sort of national level politics, uh, from New Hampshire for a while. What made you decide to run for your local board? What was that like? Sure. You know, how's it been?
1: So actually, um, I have never worked in national politics. Uh, so my first job out of college um, in 2004, so I'm, uh, you can do the math and figure out exactly how old I am. Uh, uh, then state Senate candidate Maggie Hassan hired me to run her first campaign campaign. Not that she ran, but that she won. So that was in 2004. It was one of the bright spots. I mean, it truly made waking up the next morning okay. (laughs) I guess we hadn't officially called the presidential election. Um, And it was through that lens that I really saw how... And then, you know, once she was elected, and then I went to work for the New Hampshire State Senate. So, I saw, you know, just how important these local positions are in in changing people's lives. And one of the reasons she ran was there was this horrible discriminatory insurance policy that New Hampshire had enacted. Um, I remember the bill number. It was Senate Bill One Ten. <laughs> um, and what it did was it allowed. Uh, insurance companies to cherry pick who they were insuring so they could you know send you away if you had um pre-existing condition you know all the things that we've excluded out of um after the passage of the ACA and so she ran in order to make insurance make insurance companies sort of take more people you know and and diversify the insurance pool and I and I met people who were impacted, you know, who had chronic illnesses, who couldn't, you know, were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on healthcare, going bankrupt. And I, and it was so illuminating to me of like, oh, a lot, you know, I've been, I had been, you know, for years, so focused on, um, on national politics, because, you know, that's what everybody talks about. And so that was really illuminating. And, you know, I was at the state Senate when we passed, um, it wasn't marriage equality then. We passed civil unions. We were one of the first states to do that. And that was a, such a big deal. And we passed, you know, in New Hampshire, you used to not um, have to wear a seatbelt when you drove. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Live free or die. Live
1: free or die. Um, and so we, you know, we passed that. We, we required... Um, people to wear motorcycle helmets when they wrote, they've since repealed that. Um, so anyway, you know, there were some really effective ways of making people's lives better in my estimation. And so that's where my love of local politics was really born. Um, and so I decided to run for, uh, for my local select board when my good friend, um, owner of Water Street Bookstore in our town, which is an excellent... Excellent independent bookstore. He had he had had the seat for a couple of years, um, and he said, "You know what? I'm I need a break. I think I think that I'm going to step down." And there was this young guy who decided to run, and um, in his place, and he was, you know, doing really active campaigning, and he was knocking on everybody's doors. It didn't appear that he was using any lists, so he wasn't targeting voters. And so I thought, oh, that's so great. You know, the local politics is where it's at. I'm so glad this young guy is running because, you know, he would have brought the age of the the select board down, you know, <laughs> a, a bunch of years. And then one, I think it was my, um, the chair of the Exeter Democrats sent me a link to his Twitter feed. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. I'll I'll look through this. And there was all of this language about how how, you know, how late, late-term abortion language and how Planned Parenthood murdered babies and how Maggie Hassan, who is my political hero, um, was, you know, personally murdering infants. And it was like, it was so offensive and so surprising. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, over my dead body, is this guy going to be elected to the select board and represent me? And so um, I decided that I was going to run. And, you know, I put, I've been running campaigns, I've been working in campaigns for, for a decade. And, and it was a really interesting experience of actually being a candidate. I, I have, you know, now that I work with candidates all the time, I feel like I have so much more empathy (laughs) for the hard parts of campaigning of, you know, what it feels like to knock on somebody's door and ask for a vote for myself. It somehow felt very easy to do that for other people. Um, And so, you know, and I also had all of the things that, you know, women candidates typically have around self-worth and self-doubt and, you know, oh, but I don't understand, you know, this particular issue or I don't really understand what these water notices that we're getting mean. Even
0: even after all your experience and all your training.
1: Yeah. And, and I also, I mean, this is, really ridiculous and I'll sound so silly but I have an MPA so, or an MPH so um, I have like a master's degree and essentially how to run a town <laughs> <laughs> and I was still thinking to myself oh but I you know I, there's this piece and I don't remember what a TIF district exactly how the financing works and what is that going to do and and I remember talking to my partner and she just said are you nuts <laughs> like you have to do this and so, um, so I decided to, to run, I raised a bunch of money, I mobilized like crazy, and I beat him by 10 points. So here we are. Um, one of the first things that the select board did was it changed its name because it used to, all over New England, um, especially in New Hampshire, they're called Board of Selectmen. And there was um, a board made up of four women plus one man. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the chair it wasn't, it wasn't me, I, I didn't. I didn't think to do this. I should have thought to do this. But she uh, made a motion to change the name because she said, you know, this is this is ridiculous. But in our state law, it still talks about Board of Selectmen, which is not very inclusive. But but um, yeah, so that's that's sort of my story. And it has been, you know, the honor and privilege of my life to serve my town. Um,
0: How different has it been than what you sort of anticipated coming
1: in? So it is very different. <laughs> there are, you know, the things that we get caught up in are often so minor, you know, that they're, they're like personality conflicts between the arts committee and the parade committee. And that sort of stuff makes me bonkers because, you know, I really want to help make the town grow and and improve and progress. And I don't like talking about... You know, so and so is getting a better deal than me by you know one more day of gallery space, and I. Just, <laughs> <laughs> um, so that has that has been challenging. Um, but the other thing is just how you know how a phone call or actually following up with somebody can sort of change their life. Um, one example that I'll give, um, and sort of one of the most meaningful uh, experiences of my life actually has been um, this woman that I met on the campaign trail. She actually reached out to me and said, I really want to meet you. So I went over to her house just for, for tea, and she has a daughter who is um, very developmentally disabled and will, I mean, is is sort of walking. She's uh, she's five, she's sort of walking. She'll never talk, she'll never eat. Um, and one of the things that, that my friend wants for her daughter is for there to be an adult-sized changing table in our town, somewhere where when they are out, because uh, the little girl loves to be out and about. I mean, she's so social. She's delightful. Um, But there wasn't a place to change her daughter. So that would sort of disrupt their entire day if they had to stop what they were doing and go home to change her diaper. And we just passed... um, a, a large bond to re, to renovate our library in downtown Exeter. And so one of the things that the mom wanted was for there to accommodate an, a changing table. And she said, I don't care what kind it is. It doesn't matter. You know, if you need me to raise the money, I'll raise the money. It's not that expensive. Um, and I'll do it. And there are, you know, there are grants I've researched. Here's, you know, some options. And the library shut her down. And so I went on a warpath because it seemed so simple to have an inclusive place, an inclusive town for everybody. And so, you know, because of continuously showing up and advocating for her, they, they changed their minds. They put it in the, in the construction plan. And now this little girl is going to be able to participate in downtown life in a more full way. And it's, you know, things like that that you just never sort of think about, right? Right, like, yeah. Like, unless you are living this experience, I would have never thought, oh, we, you know, we need a, a adult changing table in, our, in one of our bathrooms, one of them. It doesn't need to be all of them. And so that was really transformative and, and interesting because, you know, sometimes you think, oh, if you just tell somebody, you know, everybody will see it's a good idea. And that's not, that,
0: <laughs> that's yeah. not
1: my experience. experience. Yeah.
0: That is, that's a great story. I mean, it's like you're right. It's it's small, and it's not at all what mm-hmm. you sort of run for office. Right. But it just goes to the essence of what a community is and mm-hmm. what local governments meant to yeah. meant to be there, meant to exist for. Yeah, you bring uh, a, a diverse background to elected Thank office. You. Uh, obviously. Uh, you're a woman, and you've worked for Emily's List. Mm-hmm. Um, you're also LGBTQ. Um, you're also a mom. <laughs> uh, can you talk about how that in all those experiences inform your work on in, sure. in elected life?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think um, I think I suffer from what a lot of of women candidates feel. You know, like we talked about thinking that I needed to be an expert in literally everything. Um, and something that I heard a lot about when I was campaigning was, you know, people who were progressive and who were my friends and who, you know, really were backers um, in, in a lot of ways would say things to me like, oh, you know, who's going to have your kids? What are you going to do with your kids? And I I'm, it was so insulting. It was like, well, oh, my God, where are they? Have you seen them? And, you know, and it's like, well, I, you know, made child care arrangements or they're with their father or they're with my partner, you know, so, like, of course, I've taken care of my children. Um, I have two boys, uh, six and eight, and they're sort of the loves of my life. Um, they're, vo- they're both incredibly funny, but also it has given me such an appreciation for the work that people do in public schools. Because um, one of the one of the things that I try to do is I go and volunteer once a month in in my younger son's classroom because he needs a little bit more help adjusting. He is a very spirited child. (laughs) Um, And I, you know, I mean, it is the worst hour of my my (laughs) month. Like, it is just so stressful. And, you know, trying to manage, like, an arts project with a bunch of six-year-olds is – Mm -hmm. literally the worst, (laughs) but I, but I also, I mean, it's, it's one of the, you know, one of the ways that I can contribute to my community and it's really important. And, and it makes me value the work that teachers do so immensely. And I guess I went down a rabbit hole here, but I think that I balance things like everybody else does. You know, there are, there are some things that just take a back seat and I never feel like I'm, I'm giving a hundred percent to, to almost, Anything or you know sometimes I feel like oh I'm doing such amazing work with my candidates uh, so at Emily's list I'm the state and local regional director for the Northeast so I cover the um, all of New England plus New York and New Jersey and I have candidates from um, everything under governor so lieutenant governor on down through you know some we endorsed in the Boston City Council for example, which was really exciting and still that race is still not over. Um, but I, you know, so sometimes I feel like, oh, you know, these, ca- I'm doing so well with these candidates. And then I'm like, oh, my God, I need to, you know, respond to a constituent email. <laughs> and, you know, and, and, um, and, some, you know, sometimes the boys, you know, it's just like, oh, my God, have they, have they even looked at their spelling words this week? I hope they have. <laughs> um, and, and so the other thing that I've really learned is it really does take a village and it does take a community and asking for help. Um, In the same way that I tell candidates and I have to tell myself, you know, you ask for money um, to run your campaign because you need to be elected and to serve and your voice is valued and worth it. And it's the same with asking for help for, you know, watching your kids or, you know, sometimes it's like, I need you to go be at this meeting because I can't be there. Um, And I and I need sort of a representative (laughs) to make sure that I'm there and paying attention. Uh, so I think that's the other way that I do it. I also have an incredibly supportive partner who um, also takes on some of the work of our town. She's on the Budget Recommendations Committee. So I feel like we have, you know, the yeah. governing side and the budget <laughs> side. So I've got that covered. Um,
0: do you ever disagree?
1: On, oh, my on God, all the time. And I am always right. <laughs> <laughs> um, not typically. We typically are pretty, we're, we are pretty in sync in terms of how. Of, of priorities for the town, but I would win.
0: Uh huh. Good. Fall <laughs> in line. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, I mean, first of all, let me just say, I, so I have an uh, eight year old and a four year old, and I decided to coach the four year old soccer team. Oh my gosh. And well, it bless was you. like, it was <laughs> so hard. Uh, uh, so, yes, that, that, Mm-hmm. Empathy and sympathy yes. for uh, for the teachers and other people is, it's 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 eye opening. It is <laughs> So do you? I mean, obviously you help candidates who run for for higher office. Although I always like to like, I think that's a misnomer because it's right. you serve where you are, and there's a lot about higher office that doesn't always appealing. But um, do you? Are you are you thinking about the future? Or are you just trying to? Keep all the balls you have in the air in the air? Like, what's the. How do you think about all that?
1: I mean, I certainly think about the future in terms of what I want the representation from my state to look like. Um, I don't necessarily know that I'm the right person. Um, And I really, really love what I'm doing. Uh, There is. The, I mean, the other thing to note about New Hampshire is the legislators are paid for uh, $100 a year, <laughs> which, is, which is not a living wage by anybody's <laughs> definition. It's so crazy. So we have 424 legislators, uh, 24 in the House, 400 in the Senate. And it is a, it is a volunteer job. Um, and so, you know, it's not possible to move into one of those roles, um, as, even if I thought about wanting to. Um, because I need to, I need to, you know, pay the bills, and I also, but I, but I am definitely committed to making sure that we have the right representation, um, and you know, sort of contri- continue this really strong tradition. Actually, um, one one thing I will point out is New Hampshire has had the only um, two women who have both been governors and senators and they're both serving currently shout out to uh, jean shaheen and maggie hassan um and uh for a while we had an all-female federal delegation and um now we have chris pappas who's lgbtq he's part of the new dems he's wonderful and so happy he's there Uh, so we really do have a strong federal delegation we just need to make sure to hold this the house and the senate um, because of redistricting it's going to be so crucial and when we have fair districts we have a very a much easier time winning and so that's that's my priority for 2020
0: absolutely it should be everyone's priority <laughs> for 2020 <laughs> you can't uh, you don't get uh, you don't get healthcare or a free college or anything if you don't have fair districts yep. it's not going to happen for a decade
1: yes yeah, that's exactly
0: right so pay attention Um, Molly, thank you for joining us. It's been really fun to talk to you both about New Hampshire and your sort of personal journey into this. And, uh, it sounds like you're doing really good work.
1: Well, thanks so much for having me. It has been an honor.
0: Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us on an honorable profession. And, uh, and I look forward to hearing more about your service. Thanks for listening to an honorable profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Road Group produces podcast. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we keep this honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.